The reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 14 through 24. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all the knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for you, for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Il- I, to Il- <laughs> I'm sorry, this one has given me fits all morning. <laughs> I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. This is the reading of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Jane. You guys can have a seat. Would you uh, begin by praying with me? Father God, we are grateful that you have called us here today. We are grateful that you have sent your son for us, um, that you have bought us back and that you have uh, repurposed us. You have given us a great reward and a great purpose. And now we pray that as we look at your word, that you would give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we approach your word, that it would change us, and God, that it would not just fill us with information, but that it would draw us into worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In, uh, in 1873, there was a young Canadian man who was pastoring a church in Canada who received a call to, uh, to move to Louisville, Kentucky to pastor a church there. And so late in the year, he accepts the call and he and his family moved down to Louisville, Kentucky to begin working for a church there. Now, it was evident from very early on uh, that this man was gifted in preaching, he was gifted in uh, shepherding, but one of the things that he said that God did in his heart those first couple years in Louisville was that he began to uh, change his heart and soften his heart towards evangelism. So much so that he would begin to put on these massive evangelistic revival meetings. You know, kind of picture the, the tents and everybody coming and just shouting the gospel to, to the whole city, right? And he would put on these massive events. And as he was doing this for a couple years, uh, his ministry began to flourish. The church that he was at was growing in membership by hundreds Many were being converted at these evangelistic rallies. People loved the, the passionate preaching of this man. He kind of was settling into his role as this pastor in Louisville. 
until uh, 1877. So about four years later, uh, he attended a conference in New York. Now, while he was at the conference, he said that sermon after sermon after sermon at this conference just pelted him with the global need for the gospel. He said every single talk just kept driving this idea deeper and deeper and deeper into his soul until he said that when he left the conference, he was fully convinced that he had to take part in global missions. Now, as this desire began to grow in him, uh, he moved a couple years later to New York City because he said he wanted to get to the, an urban core where he could serve the poor in the city and simultaneously reach out to all the immigrants that were flooding into New York City in the late 1800s. So he took a job at New York City as a pastor at this church to, to serve the poor and to reach the nations. However, the church, uh, after a year or two, did not uh, agree or like that this was his focus, and they had so many issues that he would just uh, a couple years later resign. So now he's got this seemingly paradoxical value. He loved the church, he loved preaching, yet he found this passion in serving the poor, loving his neighbor in his city, and also this burden to reach the nations. So after much time in prayer and, and just seeking the wisdom of God, This man came up with a plan on how he would encompass all these areas in ministry. He decided that he would launch this uh, movement where there would uh, be Christians that gathered here in America. He would want uh, these Christians to gather around loving God and serving the poor and the marginalized in their cities. But he would also start this missionary movement that would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, his heart was that we as Americans could gather together to serve the people in our cities but we could also fuel the gospel going to the nations. This man uh, was named A.B. Simpson. And if that's new to you, if his name's not familiar to you, he is actually the founder of our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you've ever wondered what denomination we are, or if you've heard it and you wonder why it's a really long and kind of weird name, this is the story. And it starts with this man, A.B. Simpson. You see, he started these two kind of wings of ministry. He said that there's a place for the local church in America serving the city and preaching the gospel. But those people have to care about getting the gospel to the nations. That They have to fuel the strategies and the work for the gospel moving forward. Now, those two wings would eventually form together and become the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is the denomination that we're a part of. And I tell you that story um, to remind us that as a church plant, as a new church in the CMA, we are built on the foundation of the Word of God, of serving the poor in our city, and of reaching the nations. that's That's woven into the fabric of just who we are as a family line. And so this morning, as we're concluding our growth series, these last couple weeks, we've looked at how do we as a church serve the people in our city? How do we love our neighbor? How do we care about the poor and the broken and the marginalized? But now, this morning, we're concluding with, and how do we have a global impact? How do we not just put our heads down and focus here, but how do we fulfill this command for the gospel to go to the nations? And I want you to see that this isn't just two random ideas that Jared and I had. We didn't just sit down and decide, what are two good things to be about? 
Uh, this, is, this is in our DNA. This is in our identity as a denomination. And, and our hope is that us as a people, like Simpson a hundred years ago, would have this burden and this passion for both serving our city and also reaching the nations. And so this week, we're concluding with looking at a global impact. And we're going to do that from Romans chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible or your phone, go to Romans 15, which was just read for us. Because while the the story of Simpson and our denomination, I think that's a great illustration of kind of our foundation, but the reality is we're not solely built on tradition, we're built on the Word of God. So what Simpson did wouldn't matter if it's not rooted in Scripture, and I I think that what we're going to see this morning is that through Romans 15, we're going to see that there's an importance, biblically, on both the missionaries going and also the churches sending. That we've got to have both elements. And so the, the big idea from our passage this morning, as simple as I can make it, is, is that because the gospel must go, the church must send. Like as simple as that, the gospel must go, so the church must send. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at the, the missionary aspect, the going, and then what does it mean for a church to send. So Romans 15, I'm going to start in verse 18. So we'll touch on the, the previous verses a little bit as we go, but start with me in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the powers of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. So the first thing I want us to focus on and believe is that the gospel must go. That there's a piece of the church that are missionaries that have to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so what I want to do is I want to focus in for a little bit just on the man, Paul. The the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter. And I want us to see from Paul uh, his kind of personal mission and purpose. So consider with me for a few moments who this man really is. So the first time we run into Paul uh, is in Acts chapter 8. So the book of Acts chapter 8. And the first time we see him, he is not this elegant author of the Bible. He's not uh, a missionary or pastor. He's not even a Christian. He doesn't even follow Jesus yet. But in Acts chapter 8, he's actually a persecutor of the church. He hates the church. You see, Paul was a, a Jewish man. He was a Jewish leader. And he was seeing around him all these Jews converting to Christianity. And he says later that he had this zeal for the Lord, this passion for Yahweh, that so ignited in him fury that people were walking away, he thought, to follow this man, Jesus. And so he goes and he tortures and he arrests and he kills Christians. However, one chapter later in Acts 9, we see that he has this miraculous encounter with Jesus. That he's on the road literally to go arrest more Christians and Jesus shows up He blinds him and he speaks to him and he changes Paul's life forever. He not only changes him internally, but he also gives him a new purpose. In Acts chapter 9, 
verse 15, Jesus says this about Paul. He says, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles. Now that's big because so far in the Jewish religion and even in early Christianity, they weren't so focused on going out to the world, to to go outside of themselves and try to evangelize. And so this is big. Jesus is calling somebody to say specifically your role is to go to the Gentiles. Now Paul owns this mission. It's not only just something that Jesus said, he owns this. We see this in his letter to the Galatians. He writes in Galatians 1 that God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him to the Gentiles. He's saying, God has saved me, he's changed me, so that I may go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. He lays this out more in our book that we're studying this morning in Romans. He does this beautiful thing where he bookends this huge, massive, beautiful book with kind of his personal calling. In the first few verses, in verse 5, he said that his purpose was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among the nations. He says, that's my goal. Then he writes all this theology and all about the gospel. And then at the very end, he bookends this in chapter 16 with that the gospel has been made known to the nations to bring about the obedience of faith. So the book begins and ends with Paul's mission to preach Christ to the Gentiles so they obey God through faith. If you want to know what is Paul's kind of mindset, what is he doing, what's his purpose, I think you could boil it down to his goal was to preach Christ to the Gentiles so they obey God through faith. He says that's kind of as simple as he can get it. Now the the question then that we should ask, if he is so passionate about this, and if you read the New Testament, you see that Paul eventually gave his life for this. He died for this purpose. The question we should ask then is, Who exactly are the Gentiles, right? He says his whole mission is the Gentiles. That's all he's focused on. Well, who are the Gentiles? Who is this mission for? As as we go through all those verses, almost every time you see the word Gentile or even nations or uh, some translations will say people groups, it's all actually one word in the original language. And all these verses that I just mentioned, it's all one word, ethne, It's where we get the the idea of ethnic groups, right? So when he says this, what he's saying is, if I'm going to preach to to the Gentiles or to the nations, I'm preaching to every ethnic group, all the nations. Essentially, in the Bible, you have the Jewish people and you have everybody else. The Gentiles are just all the other nations, all the other people groups. Everybody else in the Bible is just a Gentile. It's the other nations. So to sum up Paul... Biblically, I think you can say Paul's whole mission was to be a missionary to the nations. That was his goal. That was his purpose. That was his work. That was his life mission. And to put the final nail in this point, look with me if you're in Romans 15 at verse 20. I think he kind of crystallizes all of this in saying this. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Paul's goal and ambition in life was to go to the places where Christ was not named, where Christ was not believed, where the gospel was not being proclaimed, and he was preaching the gospel there. 
This is the idea that today we have a term, it's called frontier missions. It's, it's the idea of going to the places where there is no uh, church established, where the gospel's not being proclaimed, in these unreached areas. And that's Paul's goal. And I think throughout all of his writing in the New Testament, what we see is that he has that goal because he believed at his core that the gospel was so good that it had to go to the nations. That the gospel was too big and too vast and too expansive to just stay in Jerusalem. That, that it was too all-encompassing to only be for one people group. He believed the bigness of the gospel. That the same message that transformed him could transform others. Like the same message of Jesus Christ could forgive the sins of the nations. The same message of Jesus, that he was a light to the people of Israel, he was also a light to the nations. The same message of hope could be the message of hope for all brokenness. The same message of freedom could break the chains of all oppression, that this wasn't just one geographical area, but Paul believed the gospel was the answer to all the problems in the world. And so before we get into any sort of application, I think for us to be a, a globally mission-minded people, we just have to ask the question and reflect, has the beauty and the vastness and the majesty and the glory of the gospel become so real and so big to you that you believe it has to go to the nations? That it is too good to just stop with you or with Omaha or with our uh, people groups and our culture. That the gospel is too big to not go to the ends of the earth. Has the gospel transformed your life? Has it freed you from the guilt or from the shame or from the fear that you have? And has that so captivated your heart that you would say, this has to go to the ends of the earth? I love um, in Isaiah 49, in the Old Testament, God is speaking to, to Israel. And he's speaking to them about a, a servant, he says, that's going to come. Now looking back, we know that he's speaking about Jesus in Isaiah 49. And God says that he's bringing a salvation for his people in Israel. But I love in, in Isaiah 49.6, God says this. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He's saying to his servant, he's saying it's too small for you to only save the tribes of Israel. It's too little, it's too light of a thing for this to be enclosed in one geographical area or one ethnic group. He says, therefore, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation will reach the end of the earth. You catch that? He's saying, look... The work that Jesus is going to do on the cross, that we now know 2,000 years ago, that his death and resurrection, the, the forgiving of sins, the offering hope, the being light into the darkness, that all that goes into the cross, he says, just being for Israel is way too small. That's not nearly big enough for the work that Jesus is going to do. Therefore, I'm going to make my servant, Jesus Christ, a light to the nations that all the ends of the earth will be able to taste his salvation because it's that good and it's that big. The glory of the gospel of Jesus cannot be bottled up and God says, I'm going to give it to the nations. 
that idea captivated Paul. It gripped him, it drove him, it fueled him. It gripped A.B. Simpson over 100 years ago. It gripped William Carey and Hudson Taylor and Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and John Patton and all these missionaries that said, the gospel is too big and too good to just stay here. I've got to go to the nations. And I wonder, does it do the same for you? Like as you dwell on what Jesus has done in your life through the gospel, that he has saved you and redeemed you, offered you hope and honor, do you feel that inside that it is too good to just stay here? Specifically, I would ask for for maybe some of you, has there been something inside, maybe over the last couple months or couple years, where you kind of have this building desire to take the gospel to the nations. And maybe there's just this seed that's beginning to grow to say, this is too good. There's too many people around the world that do not know that I can't be okay with billions in cities and villages and tribes and deserts around the world. They will never even hear about this message. That I can't be okay with that, that I have to take this message to the world. Might that be you this morning? You know, I believe that there's some in this room today that will not be here in a year or two years or three years because you will accept the call and say, I'm going to go. That I'm not going to stay here because the Lord has specifically called me to go to the nations. Like in our passage, that you would say, those who one day, or those who have not seen will one day see him. Those who have not heard will one day understand him. This is one area that we are praying into in 2018 for Providence Church. As we're thinking about growing this year, one of the areas we would love to grow in and love to see in 2018 is that uh, we would have a somebody in our church who is, has at least begun the process of long-term missions work in an unreached area. That we as a church would not just partner with outside people, but that we would actually have people in the church say, I think the Lord has called me to take the message to hard-to-reach places, to unreached places, to places where the gospel isn't. And we believe that God's going to do that this year because the gospel must go, and God continually raises up laborers to take it. Now, the, the next question then should be, if that's not you, right? And that's okay. I just want to say, look, you can breathe easy. It's okay. The, the call isn't for every single person here to get up and go. The call is for some, and so I'm going to leave that first point just kind of sit, and hopefully the Spirit does something. But for the rest of us who would say, you know what, I don't think the Lord, honestly, the Lord has not called me to that. The question should be, how do we, as a local church, you know, Providence in Omaha, Nebraska, how do we care about missions? What do we do to impact the nations if we're still here? Well, look with me again at Romans 15, because We see that the gospel must go. Paul makes that clear, that it is his call to go. But in order to do that, he also says he needs a church to send. Look at verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I have or no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain." And to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. So Paul here is explaining kind of his, his intentions with the Roman church. 
So he's written all this theology. He's told them his understanding of the gospel. He's counseled them in some pastoral issues in the church. And at the very end of the book, he says, by the way, I'm coming to you and I need some help. He says, "I, I have a journey. I'm going to Spain, but I want you to help me. I, uh, I remember when I got my first ministry job, it was an internship uh, years ago, and, and the first thing is anybody who's been in ministry, you might know, uh, you always have to raise support. That's just a part of it. To go into ministry, especially to begin, you just have to raise support. Now, this was brand new for me. I'm not from like a background where I understood anything about support raising. It was weird. felt really awkward, uh, but I had to do it. And so uh, I remember one of my very first meetings was with a guy, and I called him up, and I conveniently forgot to mention that we were going to meet to ask for money. And so I just kind of told him, I was like, hey, we should just catch up, grab lunch. And uh, so he said, yeah. So we go and we're sitting down and uh, we're talking, we're talking life and God and ministry, all this kind of stuff. And I, I'm dead honest. We're like paying. So we're like signing the check at this point. So we're getting our coats. I'm like, we're leaving. I said, oh, you know, by the way, um, for this new job I have, I kind of have to raise support for it. And I, I kid you not, his face is like, draw. He's like, are you serious? Like, I mean, it was, if you've been on the receiving end of that, where I mean, it just, I completely just dropped that in, blindsided him at the end. You know, it's like, you know, this conversation's great. Love you and your family. Let's just, 500? Should we just say 500? We don't have to talk about it anymore. Like, you can just say yes, and we'll move on. This is awkward. And I uh, just kind of dropped it on him, and he actually did not support me. But that's okay. Um, but that's kind of what Paul's doing here. Is this, uh, is this kind of, uh, he, he, he's explained all this stuff to them. And at the very end, he's just like, by the way, I'm coming to you and I need support. Right? Now I say this a little facetiously. It's, it's not really exactly like that. But that's essentially the point of this writing. Is he's saying, look, this is all that I believe. This is the calling that God's given me. And he's writing to this local church in Rome saying, hey, I need you to help me get to my next location. You should think Paul believes that for missionaries to go to the nations, they need local churches to send them there. Paul's asking this local church, would you be a part of getting the gospel to the nations by sending me, by helping me, by supporting me? And so what I want to do is I want to just ask to close all this is, okay, what, what does that actually look like, right? For a local church, what does that look like for us to support the work of global missions and how do we support missionaries? To do that, I want to just look at two things. I want to look at biblically Paul's kind of strategy and then just end with what does that look like for us? How do we take part in this? So what did it look like for a local church to support Paul? Well, for starters, uh, we need to just kind of look at Paul's kind of history, his, his life here. And what he would do, if you read specifically Acts kind of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, um, he always had this kind of method. It's really simple. What he would do is he had this home base, this church in Antioch, and he would go out and he would go to these random cities and then he would come back. And then he would go out and he'd go to these other cities and then he would come back. And he had this rhythm of he had this church home he would go out, preach the gospel to all these areas, come back, report, be re-energized, and then go back out. And when he would go out on these journeys, his mission work was actually very simple. He would go to a new city, a place where the gospel was not. He would go there. He would preach the gospel. People would get converted, and he would plant a church, and then he would raise up elders and move on. Like it was literally that simple. You can read throughout that he would go to new cities where Christians were not there, churches were not planted there. 
He would preach the gospel. He would plant local churches. We see this in Acts 16, that there's this church in Philippi where all he did was he goes in, he starts preaching the gospel. Somebody said, hey, I can host. Then some more people got converted, and they began to form this church community. He just planted churches. And then we see in Acts 20, kind of this method of he's talking to a church in Ephesus. And he says, hey, I'm raising up elders, and I'm kind of passing the baton. My work's done here. The church is planted. There's elders here. Now you, as the local church, you carry on the work because the Spirit's compelling me forward. The method's simple. Go to new places, plant churches, raise up elders, and move on. He says this um, in verse 19. Go back into Romans 15. He has this really interesting thing that he says. He, in verse 19, he says, From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then skip down to verse 23. He says, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now, geographically, Jerusalem to Illyricum, this is like Palestine to like northern Italy, basically. I mean, this is a massive, massive region. So what in the world does it mean that he's fulfilled the ministry there, that he has no more work in this region? I mean, is he saying the millions of people there are all Christians? Probably not, right? Is he saying, I personally preach the gospel to every single one? Probably not. Did he preach in every village and tribe and jungle and whatever else? Probably not. But what he did do was he went into these city hubs, he preached the gospel, planted churches, raised up elders, and commissioned them to take the ministry forward. You see, his mission work was very simple. So what does that look like for us then? I think there's two things that we need to prioritize when we as a church think about global missions from the life of Paul. The first is that we as a church will prioritize church planting. That's just going to be an emphasis for us because as we look throughout the Bible, we see that the the primary work of ministry continues on through church plants. We can go and evangelize a bunch of random people but unless there's a church with local pastors and elders and leaders carrying the ministry forward, it will die in a generation or two. So we go in and we're going to plant local churches. The second thing that we're going to prioritize is unreached areas. Again, we see that in Paul. He continues to go to where the gospel isn't. And he plants churches to carry on the ministry from there. And he goes to the new unreached place. So as Providence, when we think about global missions, I'm not saying that you know, sometimes we may spend a dollar and we may send a person to a place that already is established. But for the most part, we're going to unashamedly prioritize church planting in unreached areas. Because we see that as the, the biblical model. And frankly, the reality is that there are too many places around the world where there is no church, there are no Christians, and there is no gospel message being proclaimed. And we've got to go. We've got to get there. And we've got to plant churches. This is one of the reasons why we uh, are building this partnership with Thailand. You know, that you could look up the statistics on Thailand. It's crazy. I mean, it's like almost 99% um, a non-Christian. So almost every single person in this country will live, be born, or be born, live, and die. Most of them never actually hearing the gospel. I mean, millions and millions of people that are living their lives never hearing that there's a hope in Jesus. There's some regions in northern Thailand where there's thousands and thousands of people in this big region with maybe one or two churches of 20 or 30 people. We need to continue the work of church planting in unreached areas 
So the gospel goes forward to those who've never heard. So verse 22, that those who have not seen, they will hear. And those who haven't heard, they will understand. So as a church, as we move forward in global missions, we're going to just unashamedly work towards church planting in unreached areas. Now, lastly, what does that look like for us individually? Right, so that's kind of our big picture. So you know as a strategy, when we think towards missions, we're going to think about church planting in unreached areas. But individually, what does it look like in 2018 for, for you to grow? Because I'm not asking all of you to, to go overseas. I'm not asking that everyone perfects this and this is your number one thing that you care about. But I do think it's important for all of us to just take a step. Just one step in growth. And so um, people who study missions, they kind of break this stuff down into kind of four categories. So let me just go through these quickly. For some, the first step for you might just be praying. You know, it's kind of easy and cheap as sometimes we make that. That's a big deal. And I think for a majority of our church, if we don't have much interaction with uh, missions or internationals or anything like that, the first step might just be, hey, would you commit to praying? You know, like we prayed this morning, maybe just once a week, you pray for the Nigan Finds and our partnerships in Thailand. You pray for, we have a couple trips coming up this summer with college students. Maybe you just pray about those trips up from now until the summer. There's also an app that you can download on your phone. It's called the Joshua Project. And their whole mission is to research and get information out about unreached people groups. They'll actually send you a notification every single day. Would you maybe just commit to every day when you get that notification just taking 10 seconds and praying for that people group. Just would we commit to, to one step of prayer. The second thing uh, after praying is giving. We want to be a people that are generously giving towards the work of missions. You know, planning churches and supporting missionaries and, and doing this work overseas oftentimes is in places where there's no Christians, no churches, and oftentimes impoverished areas. They're going to need funds. They're going to need help. And so within our denomination, we have a great commission fund, which supports long-term missionaries in the CMA. Uh, We're going to have, like I said, short-term trips or special uh, kind of funds to help some of our partnerships as the year goes on. Um, So would you uh, or you and your your spouse consider uh, what would it look like for us to begin uh, giving towards global missions? Third one is kind of a new one that missiologists are working on right now, and it's called welcoming. As we have praying, giving, and welcoming. You see, there's this, you know, this huge, we're we're more global than we've really ever been before. And what missiologists are finding is that while we're so focused on going, we also have this influx of of people coming. They're coming right into our uh, neighborhoods and right into our cities. We have some people in Omaha studying um, in from countries that you literally could not go get into. Yet God is bringing them to us here in Omaha. And so, What would it look like for some of us to take another step of actually engaging with international students or refugees or immigrants, people that are displaced or studying here um, from other nations that many of them are unreached? What if instead of going, you just, you befriend some some people that um, you can build relationships with and preach the gospel just right here in Omaha? Would you consider welcoming? Lastly, I do want to ask for some of you to consider going. I mean, I, this whole first point, I believe that there are some people here that the Lord is calling to go. Maybe on a short-term trip, maybe for, for a little bit, but I believe that there's some people here that are actually called to go long-term. Like two plus years where you're uprooting and you're saying, this call is so great, this gospel is so good, I have to go 
to an unreached area to help plant churches and to see new people come to faith? Would you consider going? Like I said, one of our hopes and prayers is that by the end of 2018, we have at least one or maybe a few people or couples that we're in the process of helping send overseas. My prayer is that we will grow in this this year. While some may, maybe it's just committing to praying. Some, maybe it's committing to giving. Some, maybe it's committing to going. But would we all commit to participating this year in global missions? Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your gospel. The message that you have done for us, what we could not do for ourselves. And the beautiful message that that is not for one type of people, um, one color of people, one language. But it is for all peoples. I pray now as we... Um, continue on in 2018, that you would crystallize it for us as individuals and then as a church, how we are to partner in this. Would your spirit lead and guide us? Even now, would you be speaking to us very personally and and uniquely? But God, to do that and to do any of this, we need your gospel to become even deeper in our hearts, that we would believe this um, more firmly, that it would be deeper in understanding what you have done for all people. God, would you help us in this? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.